0: dot com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: i think we are spinning our wheels i think we are wasting so much time and energy if what we really want is to be a better soccer team hello sunshine I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the uh, U.S. men's national team identity. We got our Mossy Makes the Case segment, and we'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you?
2: I am good. We've gone with a Barcelona jersey today. We're going to talk more about them later on, but uh, back on the jersey train.
1: You're back on the jersey train. For those that can't see, you're wearing your Barcelona jersey as we get ready for the uh, continuation of Champions League with Barcelona taking on Chelsea. We'll talk more about that going forward. But as always on the pod, we start off with... Alexi Lalas' State of the Union. Yes, indeed, it is the State of the Union. This is what I have to say about the state of American soccer today. The U.S. men's national team is going to name a technical director. And that person needs to establish, define, and articulate a clear soccer identity for this team. Now, we don't have to agree with it, but we all need to understand it. However, that's easier said than done in our unique country. Because while our diversity is what makes the U.S. the greatest country in the world, it also poses our biggest challenge to putting a successful soccer team on the field. Because with that incredible diversity comes incredible diversity of thought. If I ask 100 people in the US what good soccer is, I'm gonna get 100 different answers. Theoretically, a national team represents the identity of a country on the field. But as a country, we have very little collective acceptance of our soccer identity, our style, or our philosophy. So, we've tried to be everything to everybody. Certainly commendable, but what makes a great country doesn't necessarily make a great soccer team. Remember, a national team is not the best players. It's the best collection of players. In the U.S., you're picking 23 players out of a population of 325 million. And we're asking human beings, with all of our biases, our baggage, and our history, to pick that team. We talk a lot about the need for inclusion in our sport. But any definition of identity or style of play is inherently exclusionary. Regardless of what the soccer identity looks like, some players will fit, some will have to adjust, and some just won't fit at all. Maybe even some great players. Now I know nothing scares American soccer more than the thought of wasted or unrealized talent. But if we're really serious about improving our national team, first we need to decide what it is we want to be. There will only be one version of an American soccer identity, but I'd rather pick one identity and try to be the best version of it we can be then continue to waste time, energy, and resources being mediocre, trying to be everything to everyone. Well, that's my State of the Union. Mossy, any thoughts?
2: Well, I would say in the 90s and 2000s, to the extent that the U.S. had an identity, it was as this scrappy blue-collar team that was a pain in the neck to play against. And I think people understandably so got a bit tired of that. They wanted something more. Uh, But the U.S. is now caught in this weird in-between because... They still don't have talented enough players to, to go out and beat the top teams by "quote unquote" outplaying them. But in striving for that, they've lost some of that old identity. The U.S. team doesn't feel as tough to me anymore. So, it is going to be interesting to see this new regime, which direction they go with all that.
1: But but when I'm talking about it being exclusionary, inherently exclu- exclusionary, when when there was a kid that was growing up watching that that generation that you're talking about with that ethos, what that whatever it ends up being, the, the a physical, um, you know, very fit scrappy type of identity, style of play, if you will. There are going to be players that looked and said, I can't do that. I can't fit in. Doesn't mean they're not good players. So when Brazil, and when I say Brazil as a country, for example, thinks about what beautiful soccer is, there's at least a relative collective understanding and acceptance of what that looks like. Am I wrong?
2: Yeah, I think Brazil has become a little bit overrated in that regard. Certainly, uh, we still produce uh, great individual players, but it's been a while since there's been a Brazil coach that's made a real concerted effort to play attractive football collectively. Spain is probably the best example recently of what you're talking about. And the guy who sent them down this path who doesn't get enough credit is Luis Aragones because the best football they played, in my opinion, was at Euro 2008. But so they established this whole tiki-taka identity. And now, regardless of who the players are on the field, you can just say – I know how Spain plays. They have a certain way of playing. Right. So is that what you're looking for for the U.S.? It's not what I'm looking for. I'm
1: just saying that it's, all, it's next to impossible to reflect what we are as a country because we are so unique on the soccer field. The, the, that melting pot theory, it, it's a fallacy because it's impossible to incorporate every different style and thought and identity that we have out there in our country because of its incredible diversity. So are we spinning our wheels? So for example, I've often argued that the the most direct route to having a better national team, and, and I'm, we're talking about a team that wins more and is more successful, maybe actually just cultivating it from Southern California with the shared experience and the geography and, and obviously the hotbed that is Southern California. And I'm just using that as an example. You could say, pick any area of the country, but just picking that area and putting all of our resources and energy and being more efficient by doing so, that maybe it's easier and better and quicker to get a national team just by doing that. Now, I can say that, but just because something is quicker or more efficient and is more successful doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, because that goes back to what I said, and I know maybe I'm countering my own argument here. A national team should be representative of the country. And if our country is this diverse melting pot, then that should manifest itself on the field. And maybe that takes decades in order to actually get to that point. But maybe it's worth it because ultimately we are a better representation on the field as opposed to just having the quickest way to get to that winning moment.
2: Now, when the US faces one of the top sides and if they try to play the right way and play out of the back and possession and all of that and they get drilled 4-0 do you say well look that's part of the process and the path we're going on in long term is the correct one or do you when you watch those games part of you feels like man I wish we could just harken back to my days where we would we would try a different approach and actually be more competitive against against those teams
1: so so here's where I want to be very very clear when i say a style of play and an identity i don't care what it is just just pick one, okay? So if it is that true grit type of, uh, of style, fine. If it is playing out of the back, when I was growing up, when the when the ball went out for a goal kick, it didn't occur to me to play out of the back, okay? We're well, going to kick that goal kick. But if you came and said, you know what? In order to play on the national team, you have to be able to play out of the back. Then me as a soccer player, I would understand that. I don't have to agree with it, but I would understand that. And Either I am already that player, so I do fit in, or I'm not that player and I don't fit in, or... I say you know what in order to be involved with the national team which is what I want to do I have to adjust and and that's important because you know when it, when it comes to you, you could you could say all right we only want left-footed players or or players that are good with the left foot then I have to adjust in order to get there we can't as I said in my state of the union we've tried so long to be everything to everybody and it is commendable But I think we are spinning our wheels. I think we are wasting so much time and energy if what we really want is to be a better soccer team. And ultimately, our best version of our national team, while it may be successful, it will not be truly representative of what we are as a country. And are we
2: okay with that? But wait a minute. You've oftentimes on the air referred to yourself as a romantic. I am. Uh, much controversially, I, I might add. But now you're saying whatever style works, go with it. So, so is there a style? All things being equal, you'd like to see the U.S. play? Or, no, or I don't no? care.
1: I don't. I, I don't care. Honestly, if you came and said all we're going to do is play in the air, fine. Then we're going to we're going to go get the best twenty three players to play in the air of our country. And if you are not good in the air, you're going to have to figure out a way to get good in the air because. It does me no good to say, when we're talking about what a good soccer player is in the United States, you can't use the, uh, what is it, the the Supreme Court uh, when trying to decide what obscenity is, is I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. A lot of times we do that in soccer. Well, I can't really define how we're going to play, but if you're a good player, I'll know it when I see it. No, you can define how you are going to play. And in doing so, as I said, it's going to be inherently exclusionary. And that's not the worst thing in the world. We have templates for all sorts of things in the world, including our sports. And some people fit and some people don't. But in this day and age, and by the way, this has nothing to do with ethnicity. This has to do with how you play the game. This has to do with how you think about the game. And some people will fit and some people won't. But in our our country, which as I said, as a country was built on being inclusive, was was built on accommodating everybody as much as we possibly could, that's what a country is. But a soccer team... And, and any good soccer team, whether it's a club team or an international team, has a style of play, and it, usually it comes from either a history, or there's a technical director, or there's a coach that says, this is, how I want, this is how I want to play. You may fit, you may not fit. If I don't have a left foot, and we need players with a left foot, I'm not going to fit. It's not because I'm being excluded, it's just because I don't have the necessary qualifications to fit what they are doing.
2: Yeah, I think a country like the US, you do need that transformative figure that's going to show up, like Bielsa did with Chile. I mean, when he took over Chile, they were a mess, but he came in with a clear idea of how he likes to play. And I, I love the way his teams play. And he's set them on a path now where even his successors, Sampaoli, Pizzi, have sort of gone along those same lines. It's even influenced coaches from Chilean clubs. So, and to be fair, the U.S. actually tried to hire Bielsa years ago, and he wasn't interested. But you do need that sort of figure, I think. And, and in the U.S., I think maybe thought Klinsman was going to be that, and he really wasn't. So yeah, in a country with so much diversity, you're just going to need somebody with a strong personality to take over and say, look, this is how we're going to play. And And stick to it. And I think that you're right. That's probably the way to go. I
1: hope that we have somebody that comes in and says, this is... And is able to talk about it publicly, because it's all fine and well to have it internally, everybody understanding it. But I think nowadays, maybe more so nowadays, and and in particular this moment in the United States, American soccer, that community needs to understand. And when I say buy-in, once again, it doesn't mean that you necessarily agree, but you understand this is how they're going to play. And by the way, that leads to accountability. Because if somebody comes in and says, this is how we're going to play, then you hold that person and that team and that coach that he or she hires accountable for playing so that you can see a progression and an evolution trying to work towards the ideal form of whatever, whatever that may be. But you got to accept that there are certain players that aren't going to fit into it. And it's okay. It doesn't mean we're not living up to the American notion of what uh, a sports team, a sports team uh, should be. It's okay. Define it. And go with whatever it is you feel is right because, once again, we are wasting so much time uh, and energy, I think. This is something I've talked about for a long time. Hit me up. Hit us up uh, out there if you disagree. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that are, that are screaming and yelling and throwing stuff at their speakers right now as my voice is coming out explaining this. But, you know, this is, this is the debate that we're having, and this is a debate that needs to be had. Moving on. It's time for Massey Makes the Case. As you heard, Mossy is about to make the case. Mr. Mossy, I know you are so excited about having Champions League back. So, have at it, sir.
2: Well, Alexi, I thought we'd revisit the Real Madrid PSG first leg because we talked so much about it leading in that I have some thoughts on the match. Listen, the knives were out for Neymar and PSG. Uh, people had these hot takes they'd been sitting on for months. <laughs> they were waiting for them to lose a game like that. Uh, and that's we all fine. bank our hot
1: takes, let's be honest, okay? come that's on. That's
2: fine, but uh, some of what I heard uh, does not reflect the match I saw. Um, I don't want to make it all about Neymar, but let's start there. Uh, Listen, his final touch let him down a few times, so you have to downgrade his performance. you got to finish off plays. But overall, he had a very good game. Real Madrid were pressing them like crazy. PSG's defenders and midfielders were very nervy on the ball, but when in doubt, they could uh, always—their outlet— was Neymar down that left side. And he was always either going to draw foul and relieve some of the pressure or blow past his man and get them going the other way. He was a constant threat throughout. Every chance they had the whole game was because of him. So this notion that he bottled it, I think, is completely unfair. And I think you agree with me, right?
1: I I actually do. I was surprised at the venom uh, (laughs) and the amount of venom towards Neymar. If you watch that game, when he got the ball, uh, he took on at times two and three players. Now you can you can argue he should have dished it more here or there, but after that game, it, it didn't even occur to me to blame Neymar. N- not not that he doesn't deserve focus and attention, and yes, some blame because you go there with all the money. The reason why you're there. It, You're not there to win league. Uh, Nobody cares that you that you uh, that you win league. It's there to have that holy grail to find a way to get to Champions League and to win Champions League. It's what it's what the ownership wants. It's why they're paying all the money. It's why they have all that talent. And when you are Neymar, you're going to be the focus. He he understands that. We all understand that. But in this particular instance, I didn't think it was on him that they lost. Now, if he's taking the ball, dribbling, losing the ball, or making uh, the wrong passes, that's all fine and well. I think it was just as you said some bottled up type of venom that they knew there was going to come a point when they could go against Neymar, who we talked about is kind of taking on that mantle of being the villain. Maybe Cristiano Ronaldo said, it's all yours. You can take it.
2: Well, and there's been some pushback. Xavi gave an interview this weekend where where he defended Neymar and said he actually had a much better game than Ronaldo. I don't know why Ronaldo is getting all this praise. And you saw in that first leg, it's sort of a microcosm of where we are Uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo now and the whole Ronaldo-Messi debate, ronaldo neymar Ronaldo's undergone this transformation in recent years. It gets more pronounced each season where he's less involved in the game, on the periphery of the action. He doesn't create anything on his own anymore. He can't dribble past anybody. But he does have this unbelievable knack in big games of getting his name on the score sheet, however it is. This time it was a penalty, and I don't know what you want to call kind of a right place, right time, deflecting the ball into the net. But the bottom line is, his team won, and he scored, and Neymar didn't. So he got all the headlines. It was presented as if he upstaged Neymar. And that, that's what we've seen with him and Messi in recent years. He's been able to upstage Messi by scoring big goals and having his team win trophies. And to a degree, I'm fine with that, because goals do win games. But I don't know, sometimes it's a little weird to hear all the praise when you watch the game, and you, you think, there's a, boy, did he play that well there? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know where you sit on all that, but it, it's, I, I struggle with it uh, sometimes. Cristiano, how well he played? Well, yeah, this whole notion of, like, is it all about goals? and if he scores and his team wins, it doesn't matter anything else?
1: It, It is because Real Madrid is about results. Real Madrid is not about the beautiful game. Real Madrid is not about, you know, the... The changing the way we view the game. It's about results, and those results have come about because they have incredible goal scorers and one of the all-time great scorers. So when he scores two goals, yeah, that's, that's, that's all that matters. Having said that, there, there are still headlines to be written, possibly, because we have the return. You still think that the PSG has a chance?
2: Yeah, well, let me just say, I did not think that was that bad a performance from them. That game was 1-1 in the 83rd minute on balance of play. They'd arguably been the better team up to that point, certainly in the second half. And then they, they collapsed at the end. The issue for them was they got caught with three players who should not have been on the field. If you had asked Unai Emery at the beginning of the season, what do you envision being your starting lineup for the biggest games? He would have told you a team with Thiago Mata in the midfield, Kurzawa at left back, and Thiago Silva in the center of defense. Now, Mata and... Kurzawa weren't fit, so he started Los Celso in the midfield, who was a disaster, and he started Berchic at left back, who was terrible, and then... The, the other decisions on him he chose to go with Kimpembe instead of Thiago Silva Kimpembe didn't play that bad overall but the bottom line is those three guys were scared you could tell and they made individual mistakes that cost them Los Celso giving away that cheap penalty late in the first half when they were about to go in 1-0 and then Kimpembe was at fault on the second goal that was not a foul on Cristiano Ronaldo by the way I saw a definitive angle on that he didn't even touch him Kimpembe inexplicably just threw himself into the ground so he's got to take the blame for that and these big champions League games it's about details and, and so those guys ended up costing them. Now, spinning it ahead to the second leg, if he puts the right lineup on the field, I know everybody's going to throw dirt on PSG for the next three weeks, but if he plays the right lineup with those guys I said, I I think they have a real shot here. They beat Bayern 3-0 at home in the group stage. They beat Barcelona 4-0 at home in the round of 16 last season. They're a very explosive team, so we'll see. I mean, certainly Real Madrid favorites to go through, but I don't think it's done and dusted yet.
1: All right, well, you heard it here first. Mossy, very bullish on PSG, still going through, despite all the, the knives and the daggers that are already out for his man, uh, Neymar. If they do go through, it'll be praise uh, from, from everywhere. If they don't, those knives will get longer and longer and longer. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, as you heard, it's time for our Ask Alexi segment where we take questions that you have asked with the Ask Alexi hashtag over there on uh, social
2: media. Mossy, what do the good people want to know? All right, up first, at Sam, we think, Fitzsimons. Although there's been some debate in here about how to pronounce that, <laughs> Big Sam, we're we'll just calling Big Sam. Yeah, the first two questions actually are Dortmund-related. So, oh, okay. uh, right. do you think with the return of Royce and the resurrection of Shirla that Pulisic will struggle to make the starting eleven?
1: Would we be talking about Borussia Dortmund if it wasn't for Christian Pulisic? You
2: think on this podcast? No, just in general. Yeah, he he
1: makes Borussia Dortmund much more interesting to the American soccer public, right? Correct. Okay. Okay. Just just making sure. Look, I don't think—I'm not going to worry about Christian Pulisic. However, it's all been roses. It's all been beautiful for Christian Pulisic. And we know that in a career you have ups and you have downs. You need only look to the people that we're talking about here, whether it's Royce or Shula. You're going to have moments either through injury, either through things that are happening off the field, either that, or things that you have no control over, that are going to derail your career to a certain extent. It's how, how high and low those peaks and valleys are. When it comes to Christian Pulisic, it has been— uh, high uh, and it has been peaks. So at some point he's going to have a low. We got on as a uh, as a substitute in the game this weekend in their uh, one nothing win. I, I I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think that there is a general recognition and a respect for the fact that this is a real talent, regardless if he's you know, a, a U.S. player or not. And even if his time starts being limited, it may even provide an opportunity for him to go sooner than we think. Um, not because they, they, don't, they don't like him, but... I think the value for him will still be there from some very, very big teams that are willing to pay a lot of money. So I, I'm, I'm not worried about it, but I am interested to see when those moments come, when things aren't going well for him on the field, how he reacts. Because he's still got that wide-eyed, young, uh, incredible confidence that actually is propelling him right now. But that could change if, if and when he experiences something different.
2: Yeah, he had a uh, stretch in the first half of the season under Bosch where he was starting every week. Yep. But a little bit of that was the circumstances. They had players out and others underperforming. So there are more options now for Stoger. And anytime a new coach comes in, you're going to have to prove yourself all over again. And he hasn't been great, to be honest, since Stoger took charge. But listen, Christian Pulisic transcends taste. To me, any coach is going to like him. He played under Tuchel, he played under Bosch, and he'll eventually play a lot under Stoger. It's not going to be, though, I think, starting every week like it was the first half of the season because Stoger is going to want to rotate. And like Sam Fitzsimon said, you know, they have a Lot of options now with Royce back who got the winner this weekend against Gladbach his former team and Sherla and gutsa and Kagawa eventually Yarmolenko is going to come back from injury Jaden Sancho who they love who there's actually some talk they think he's now their best young player rather than Pulisic so there's a lot of competition for places there so I think Pulisic it's going to be kind of an in and out sort of thing but but he'll get his games for sure
1: hashtag
2: taste transcendor right that's what you called him yep all right Next up, like I said, staying with the Dortmund theme. At Drunken Hippo wants to know: Do you think uh, <laughs> Dortmund buy Mishi Batswai? So he was a loan from Chelsea, yes. and now there's talk of him of them buying him permanently.
1: He came in, uh, scored right uh, when he came in, so everybody's going crazy. Obviously, with the Obama Yang uh, transfer and all that, they just they just reload. That's what they do, right?
2: I have to say... Oh, gosh. Whenever
1: whenever you start anything with I have to say, I know something's coming.
2: I could not have been more wrong about this. I I was not a Batschwein fan at Chelsea. Uh, I wasn't that excited about Dortmund getting him. I thought they were kidding themselves to think that he could be a replacement for Aubameyang. Even after that first game when everybody was excited, I was poo-pooing it all week in the Fox offices. Like, one game against Cologne, the guy's Gerd Muller now. Everybody calm <laughs> down. But you know what? It's now four games. He's been terrific. He's a great fit there. He's going to do well. And so, yeah. Uh, you know, and by the way, they're surprised too because their sporting director, Zork, came out after they acquired him and said, look, this is just a short-term fit. It was the last day of the window. This is all we could do. But don't you know? There's no guarantee we're going to keep him permanently. And now, a couple of weeks later, they're already talking about spending maybe 60 million euros to buy him permanently. And by the way, there's some talk if they do that, that could affect Pulisic because Chelsea might take that money and try to buy Pulisic. So. Wow.
1: Wow, I don't I don't like a contrite and humble David Mossy. You know, I mean, yeah. it doesn't happen often though, so I guess we should just enjoy it. While and, and what happens. kills
2: me about it is Keith Costigan and Ian Joy were very high on Butch Wai, so they were right, and I was yeah, wrong. Listen, Boy, that
1: blind squirrel, it no end, finding a nut every once yes. in a while, right? All right, what else we got?
2: At B. H. Knowles with the addition of Barco, could Atlanta United have the most potent offense? in the history of MLS?
1: They could have the most expensive offense in the history of MLS. I don't know if it's potent. I think that there is a general excitement. Uh, I was watching a, uh, a stream uh, this weekend of his first minutes with the team, and it's it's hard when you are the record signing for the league in terms of historic, in terms of the amount of money that they've spent for this $15 million tr- uh, transfer fee. There's going to be a lot of pressure, pressure on it if you don't go in there and score a bunch of goals. Uh, if... If you didn't know who he was, you would not have been able to pick out who the historic uh, transfer was out there on the field. But it's early days. I still think just the message that it sends to their own fans and externally, it makes it must-see. And so, yes, they could be the most potent offense on paper. But until we start playing these games, and, and this is not just a transition to another team and another league. But this is a transition to Major League Soccer and North America and all of the different <laughs> challenges both on and off the field that players have to face. So he's got a huge transition to make. I hope, I hope, it, I hope it works out well, because it's an important part of the business. And he looks like a player that a lot of people wanted. But until we actually see him in games that count, we're not going to know.
2: That is it, Alexi.
1: All right, thanks for the questions on our Ask Alexi segment. You can always hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and all the different platforms out there with the hashtag Ask Alexi. Moving on. The back three. All right, heading to the finish line. Up next is our back three. Mossy, what do we got?
2: All right, first things first. Ian Robin, in an interview, uh, suggested he might have some interest in finishing his career in MLS. Would he be a good signing?
1: Robin, undeniable talent. Uh, someone that many teams for a number of years would have, would love and have loved to have on their team. However, now you're talking about a, an important part of Robin, and that is his ability to stay on the field in terms of injury. We know that with that incredible ability uh, has come some injuries and consistent injuries that have kept him off. So now, if you were an MLS team, while the name certainly perks you up and the ability, you have to worry about, is this guy actually going to be able to fulfill the contract on the field and give us those moments of magic that only happen when he's on the field? That would be my big worry. Not that he's coming here to make money or he's coming here to finish his career. Everybody understands that. But ultimately, it's about whether his body can hold up on a consistent basis in a major league soccer season. And I have my doubts.
2: Next up, Alexi, there are 32 countries in the World Cup. Leon Bailey is apparently eligible for all of them, but... the one that is in the news now is England. Apparently, due to two of his grandparents having British passports, he actually might be eligible for England right now. Leon Bailey having a tremendous season in the Bundesliga for Leverkusen, so there's some talk he could somehow find his way into that England World Cup squad. What say you? So, Leon Bailey, nine goals on it, I think, at this point now uh, in
1: the Bundesliga, somewhere around there. The Jamaican Youth International... Uh, has yet to play for Jamaica, so we have not seen him star in a CONCACAF sense from a full national team, but as you mentioned, can play for all all of these different teams. And anytime you have a human being that is scoring goals on a consistent basis, people are going to come around. And that he has this ability to play for multiple teams makes him that much more attractive. There is nothing more valuable in our sport, Mossy, than scoring goals. And the people that do that are always going to be the most sought after. And in this case, if he... It, it would surprise me. I would be very, very surprised if England found a way to get him into the camp and to bring him and then obviously to cap tie him with England in a, uh, in a World Cup sense. That doesn't Doesn't seem to me to be something that they are going to do. As as desperate as ever as ever everybody is for uh, a goal scorer, I just don't see that happening when it comes to England.
2: Now English clubs have been killing it in the Champions League this season, and we'll end on that because one of them, Chelsea, is involved in the marquee tie this week. We're taping this on a Monday. This gets underway tomorrow, live on FS1. Chelsea, Barcelona at Stanford Bridge. And then leg two is until mid-March back at Camp Nou. Very excited for this one. The latest chapter in this unbelievable rivalry between these two clubs they've met in the knockout state. This is the sixth time. So many memorable moments. Those... Uh, ties in the mid-2000s with those Ronaldinho Eto'o teams going up against Mourinho, that controversial Messi play at Stamford Bridge where he drew a red card on Del Horno. You had the Iniesta, famous goal in 2009, that match where Chelsea got absolutely screwed by the refs. And then uh, the famous Fernando Torres uh, goal at Camp Nou in 2012 that elicited that Gary Neville orgasm. Uh, So this is uh, (laughs) the latest chapter now. Uh, Barcelona, clear favorites, but I don't know. The way English teams have been going in the Champions League, I'm not going to count Chelsea out. What say you?
1: I think this is where the English teams that we know and love show up in terms of their uh, ability to <laughs> fail. <laughs> uh, look, uh, there there is a, a good history when it comes to uh, to Chelsea, so I don't think that they're going to be scared, nor should they be with the talent with the talent that they have. However, I just look at the situation right now. Has it been a good year for Chelsea? Eh. It's been up and down. You got the the Conte type of uh, situation right now. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? So I think that in this in this moment we see a Barcelona that licks their chops to go up and take down someone that is not their nemesis, but certainly someone that they haven't had the consistent success against that that they have uh, had against others. And so we start talking about the English teams. And I think we will still talk about the English teams, but I don't think Chelsea's going to be one of them when this, when this is all said and done.
2: Yeah, the big stat that's been getting a lot of play, Messi has never scored in eight career matches against Chelsea, so he'll look to put that right in this tie. And yeah, for people who haven't watched, this is a different Barcelona team, more balanced. They play a 442 It'll be, I think, both these legs, it'll be... Paulinho and Busquets in the middle of the field with Iniesta, Rakitic, and then Messi and Suarez up top. And Chelsea, he's got some big decisions to make here. Is it going to be Cahill or Rudiger at the back? Is it going to be Giroud or Morata up top? I think Fabregas will start with Bacayoko out. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, Antonio He's cut a miserable figure throughout the season, <laughs> but th- he might actually crack a smile if they if they go through. Who goes through? Uh, In this tie. Uh, And by the way, let me just say, the big call he has to make is William or Pedro, because I think he, all things be equal, he prefers Pedro, who, of course, would be facing his former team, but william has been in such good form lately. I will go with Barcelona, but I don't feel good about it. I think it's like 51-49, Barcelona.
1: 51-49. All right. Well, anything else? That is it. That is it. All right, Mossy, as we end each and every pod, my one big thing, and it goes back to the top of the show when we were talking about going forward as a U.S. men's national team and establishing an identity. And you mentioned it at the top of the show about the identity that did exist a while ago for a U.S. team that was always difficult to play against because of these, we throw these words around, the spirit and the grit, all that kind of stuff. But it was raw, and it was, to a certain extent, difficult. very antiquated in terms of the and simple in the way that we went about it it was successful but in order to mature and evolve i think everybody including those of us that were involved recognized that we had to get better but in our attempt to get better i think going forward it's really necessary for us to all have an understanding of what we want to look like going forward. And there's a million different definitions, and there's a million different templates, but all I care about is someone says, this is what we're going to do. I don't have to agree with him or her, but I want someone to take the bull by the horns and say, this is how we're going to play, and we are are going to become the best version of that. And as I said earlier in the show, some will fit and some won't, but that's okay. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find me on Twitter at Alexi Lawless. You can find David Mossy on Twitter. What is your Twitter handle there, Mossy? At Statman Mossy. Oh, at Statman Mossy. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. Remember the Ask Alexi hashtag so we can use some of your questions on uh, shows coming up. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Mossy. We're off to work those Champions League games this week. So much stuff going on on the field and off the field. And so glad that you could join us here on the State of the Union podcast. As always, size the day.